Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, please. We started a series a couple weeks ago, I think this is the third one, right? Called The Unstoppable Church. The Unstoppable Church. And what we're really finding out is we're learning how we are supposed to be the unstoppable church. So we're going to continue that. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, and we're starting in verse 13. It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They And I like that. Jesus even gave them the answer. He said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? <laughs> and they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say you that I am? I already gave you a clue, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, You are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we're talking about the church. What is the Father? What, what is Jesus interested in? Building his church, right? He's interested in building his church. And, and you know, we, we mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. His interests and priorities need to be our interests and priorities. His agenda what is important to him needs to be important to us. You know, we need to lay aside what we think is important, lay aside our dreams and our aspirations for his things. And we'll find out he'll give us new dreams and new aspirations and new things to go after. And we'll say, man, I, I can't believe I was thinking so little anyway. <laughs> right? But when you're putting his things first and you're seeking God's interests first and his priorities first, you're going to think differently and you're going to go after what's what you thought was, you know, maybe you might have thought this is not that important to my life. It'll start to become more heavy and more important and more weighty into in your life where I want to go after those things. So his interest must become our interest. And, you know, it takes faith to do that. It takes faith to lay aside, you know, what you want to do and to go after what he wants to wants you to do. It does require faith. It takes faith to, to step out and to go after something that you're not quite sure how it's going to end up, how the re end result is going to be. It requires faith. It requires faith that you heard from the Lord. It requires faith that he is going to take care of you, that he is going to sustain you, that it's all going to work out. It does require faith. And that's why some people never go after the things of God because they lack faith in that area. Well, we don't want to be those people. We're not going to be those people. We're going to go after what God is, is interested in and what he prioritizes. We're going to go after those things. Amen. It takes faith to do that. You know, faith comes first and then you see the results. What if the disciples would have waited when Jesus said, come, follow me? 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. He said that to Simon Peter, he said his brother Andrew, and, and to others told him to follow me. What if they would have waited to see how everything would work out before they decided to follow him? What if they would have waited to see how they're going to be able to provide for their family before they just leave their jobs, before they leave their occupations, and just start following Jesus all around the place? What if they would have waited? They would have never seen anything. They would have never seen miracles. It's too late to have faith at that point, right? If you wait to see, no, faith comes first. You know, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, some symptoms and issues in your body, you can't wait to believe that you're the healed of the Lord before, uh, you can't wait to, I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. You can't wait till all the symptoms are gone until you have no more aches, until you have no more pains uh, to believe that you are the healed of the Lord, right? You can't wait till all the symptoms are gone and you feel great before you believe that by his stripes I'm healed. You have to have faith first. You can't wait till all your needs are met, till all the bills are paid, and you see abundance in your bacon cow and you see a plenty and savings and all these things. You can't wait till that happens to believe that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. You, it's too late for faith at that point. You have to believe those things first, and then you'll see it. See, faith is first. Then comes the proof of your faith. If you never have any faith, if you never take a step out in faith, if you never act upon your faith, if you never endeavor to live by faith and walk by faith, and then once you are in faith, if you never hold on to that faith and you never let go of that faith, then you'll not see the evidence of your faith. You have to have faith first. Faith comes first, then the proof of your faith. Amen? So he says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So what is the church? Last week, we asked the question, what is the church? Who remembers? We talked about that last week. What is the church? And we're not going to do a ton of review for sake of time, but uh, because I want to get into what we have for today. But what is the church? The word church is the word ecclesia. I always have to look at it to make sure I'm saying it right, okay? I know people say ecclesia, but it's ecclesia, which means a gathering of citizens called out, the called out ones, okay? A gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, into an assembly. We are the called out ones. And since we have been born again, us as believers that have been born again, that have been uh, called out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the power of darkness, delivered from the power of darkness, and now we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son, we as citizens of this same kingdom are to come out and come together. We are the called out ones. We are the called out together ones, right? We, or we could say we are the called together ones, right? We have to come together. And the word of God we read in Hebrews 10 says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, okay? This is not a suggestion. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The very core characteristic of the church and what makes up the church is that we are coming together. Amen? 
That's the very core characteristic of the church, that, that we come together. You know, the Bible we, we read last week, and it talks about that we are living stones, that the church is a living temple, and we are the living stones that make up the church. If living stones are never, you know, stacked on top of each other, if they're never placed on top of each other, or however you put stones together when you're building something, do you have do you have a structure? Do you have a building if these stones are never placed together? No, you don't, do you, right? And what is the material that Jesus is building his church with? He's building his church with a certain material. Is it brick and mortar? Is it hay, stubble? What, what, what is Jesus building the church with? Us, right? He's building the church with people, with people that are, uh, you know, us, that are already born again, that are already saved, but when we're out in the world and we're ministering to people that are not saved, we need to be thinking, hey, that's some more construction material, more building material. And so he's building the church with people. And so we have to come together if we're going to be part of that structure, right? If we're going to be part of that building. Let's just say we go out to a construction site and at that construction site, we know that, man, they have a, a plan in place. You know how they have the billboard or that little sign out in front telling you what's coming up. You know, they're advertising, hey, this store is going to be here pretty soon or that store. Well, this has a diagram or a picture of some, let's say, five-story stone cathedral or, or condominium or whatever it may be. And you go out there and you see pallets of stones here and stones here and, and stones over there and some stones here. Here a stone, there a stone, everywhere a stone, stone. But uh, you go, I don't know why I said that, but stones everywhere, right? Well, we have stones, but do we have a building just because they're stones? No. They, it, it, just because you have stones does not make you a building. Just because you are a stone, that does not mean you are a building. Are you guys following? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? The church is to be built, and we are the living stones. And to those stones are mudded together and whatever they do to put them all together, you don't have any type of structure until you have any type of building, until it comes together. Amen? Um, so Jesus is building his church, and, and one stone by itself is not the church, okay? It's not a building. Ephesians 1, you, you guys don't have to turn there. Actually, uh, let's go to Ephesians. Well, go with me to Ephesians. We'll go to the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Fourth chapter of Ephesians. But in Ephesians 1, it says that the Father, while you're turning there, the Father has placed all things, he has put them under the feet of Jesus and made him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. So the church is the body. Let's say that the church, the church is, the is the body. So if we have multiple parts, now you are not the body by yourself, okay? We are not, one person, one individual is not the body by himself. So if you see a part over here, an eyeball over there, you know, and there's an ankle over there, there's a toe and a tongue over here, you know, and some eyelashes. Uh, but is that the body? 
if they're spread out, parts all over. No, they are parts. You don't have a body till these parts come together, right? One part is not the whole body. And in Ephesians 4, let's start in uh, verse, verse 11. It says, he gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should be no longer uh, be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So let me just stop right there real quick. Is it necessary to have these ministry gifts, the teacher, the, the evangelist, the pastor? Is it necessary? Do these help with keeping you away from things that could deceive you and things that can trick you and ploys and tactics of the enemy? It says right here, that's what they're given for. That's part of the reason why they're given. You know, so when people say, oh, we don't, we don't you know, need to be involved in a church, well, they're, they're not reading the scripture or they they're obviously ignorant of these scriptures and what significance it, it holds. But it says in uh, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Who's the head? Christ. He's the head. From him, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Do you notice these two words, joined and knit together? Joined, and, 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 I'm sorry, that's more than two words, but joined and together. How is the body joined together? How, how is the body coming together when every part of the body does its share, it says, right? When every part of the body does its work, does its job, it's a body, okay? Not being isolated by itself. It's when every part of the body does its job, then it causes growth in the body, which is the church. The church is the body of Christ. You can't stay home by yourself and think that you are being part of the body, isolated and, and doing nothing, right? Let's go to Hebrews real quick. Hebrews, I might have you turn to a few scriptures. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. You know, we're supposed to come together. You can't stay by yourself, stay isolated, and think that you're doing your part, that you're doing your share. No, the body needs every part to come together. The church needs every stone to, to be doing its part, okay? In Hebrews 10 and verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves 
together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So we need to come together to inspire one another. We need to come together so that we get a bigger vision, so that we increase in what, where we are. You know, we are, we're very limited in what we see and what we know. And when you come around other people, you get inspired. When you're around people that are sold out for Jesus and that are doing more for the kingdom of God and that are reaching for more and that are, you know, they're, they're just always on fire for God and always talking about the Lord and they're praying more, that is going to inspire you. And if you're just by yourself all the time, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. You have to be around people. You know, we were around some people yesterday that, man, they're, they're excited to go and witness. They're excited to get on the street and, and, and lead someone to the Lord. <laughs> one, of the, one of the guys we were with, he saw somebody, said, that guy over there. He was kind of like, man, I wish I, I wish I could speak to him. You know, we were already driving off. He was like, oh, that man. You know, he, he was ready to go after him, to, to lead him to the Lord, to pray with him. Why is that? You need to be around people like that. We need to be around people that have bigger vision than us, that want to do more for the Lord. You don't get that staying in your little fishbowl, you know, right? What happens when you stay in your little fishbowl? People get weird. People get weird when they stay by themselves, right? Because they don't have anyone to, to, you know, no pastor, no one teaching, some things that could be off, some things that can be weird. And people by themselves, when they isolate, man, I've seen it. They get weird. They always have, you know, they're always talking about some outer body experience they had. They're always talking about, you know, some grand vision. And now God gives people visions and dreams. But if every second of the day you're walking in a trance and you're having outer body experiences, no, you're weird and flaky. And you just don't know that. And it's because you're isolated and you're not around people to tell you, no, that's not scriptural. That didn't happen to Jesus. That didn't happen to Paul. But sometimes they think, well, I don't need to go to church because I am just superior in my spirituality and my spirituality. I'm, I'm more superior than everybody else. <laughs> no, yeah, you may be more superior, but more superiorly weirder than everybody else. <laughs> not, not superior, more spiritual than everybody else. No, the Bible talks about in a multitude of counselors, there is safety not all by yourself. It actually talks about in, in, in Proverbs as well that the man who isolates himself and keeps away from everybody is selfish and seeks his own desires and he rages against any wise judgment. He's against wise judgment, wise counsel, the person that isolates themselves. No, so it's not true that you are more spiritual and more advanced than everybody, and that's why you're not around everybody. No, we need to be around people. Not, it's not, not for competition, not so we can say how many people you win. Aha, I did more. I won more people to the Lord than you. No, it's not about that. It's about just encouraging one another. You know, you need to be around people that, uh, you know, married people need to be around marriages that have lasted longer than theirs, that have been through some things that they have overcome some things so that you can have a vision, so that you can see, man, I can do it if they can do it, right? You need to be around, you know, young people need to be around people that are, that are um, sold out for the Lord, that are waiting to marriage, that they're not just, you know, sleeping around with everybody, right? 
people need to be around different people in the community of God, in the, the house of the Lord that are doing more than we're doing. Amen. Where are we at? Uh, Hebrews, Hebrews. Yeah, it says that we're to provoke right there. It says that we are to provoke, to love and to do good works. We're to aspire to reach for more and to love more when we're when we're doing things, when we're coming together. Amen. So, you know, a part of the problem is that we live in a culture, though. We live in a culture that that focuses on my dreams and my goals. Right. My visions and and my, 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 everything is my, my, my. And yeah, you need to have your own personal goals and dreams. But the church, we need to be thinking more we. We need to be thinking us. We need to be thinking together what we can accomplish, what we can do for the kingdom of God, what we can do for the Lord. Because this is the thing that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against is us together. It reminds me when I think of that, I get the picture of this. When I was young, there was a cartoon called Voltron. Voltron, you all know about Voltron. Voltron, the defender of the universe. <laughs> That's like Voltron, the defender of the universe. See, nowadays, you guys, well, even when I was younger, they had Power Rangers, right? Which is probably like some, some knockoff of uh, uh, Voltron. Um, but, you know, you guys get the point. Okay, we're not going to get into that. But you guys understand, like with Power Rangers and Voltron, these guys, they were strong individually, right? They, they, they got inside these uh, mechan- robot, like transformer type things, and, and then they would come together when they had a big enemy. And when they came together, you know, it'd go through this whole thing, doom, 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 they all connect, you'd be like, oh, yeah, cool, the bad guy's in for it now, right? So they all come together, and now they're like unstoppable, Voltron right? And that's the way the kingdom, the the, the church is supposed to be. That's us, the church. We come together, nothing can stop the church. The gates of hell cannot stop the church. When we come together, we look the devil in the eye like, what now? What now, devil? We're 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 teamed up together. We're all together now. (laughs) See, that's the way the church is supposed to be. So we're talking about what is the church? What is the church. Now you're in Ephesians. Go to the previous chapter. The previous chapter, Ephesians 3. Who, who knows about Voltron in here? You guys know about Voltron? I know they got, I think they got a new series out. I, I, haven't, I haven't watched it. Um, so I don't know. It's probably not the same anymore. <laughs> it's probably, you know, when you're a kid, everything was like, cool. Oh, yeah. You probably watch it now and the animation probably looks, oh, that's dumb. I'm talking about the old one, you know. But Ephesians 3, we're talking about what is the church and what is the church that Jesus is building. Because Jesus is building his church. And when Jesus builds something, do you think he builds it so that it only lasts for a certain amount of time and then after that it's going to, you know, be destroyed? destroyed and deteriorate. No, when Jesus builds something, he doesn't build something so that it's easily demolished or easily destroyed, right? You know, you ever hear of a building that was built? I know, I know we hear, hear about those things in Florida about, you know, high-rise condominium or something like that, that all of a sudden collapses, right? And what happens? Or a bridge that all of a sudden gives out 
and collapses and people are hurt, people are injured, and people want to know right away when that happens, who was the builder, who was the construction company that oversaw the construction, or who was the structural engineer that approved that design and approved that structure, or who was the, who was the inspector that went out to the site and approved it before people can drive on it or you know, live in it. Who, everybody's looking for someone to blame. You know, but it's not always the builder's fault. We, we built a house a couple years ago, and when we built our house, um, after the house was finished, I shouldn't say we built it, I guess the, the company, the construction company built the house, but we paid them obviously to build the house. And when we closed on the house, we did like a final walkthrough. And they pointed out a bunch of different things. They said, here, you need to do this with the HVAC system. You need to clean out the line here, you know, because we live in Florida. And there's algae that can get in there and it, things can get backed up. And so you need to do this and do that. And so things keep working properly. And then they said, and the stucco out here, you know, if uh, over time, there will be some settling cracks and things. You want to fill those in and, and all that stuff. Well, if I neglect those things, and I say, yeah, 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 and I, I don't do anything, and I just let those things go year after year after year after year, and I just say, oh, man, there's some cracks here, and there's some cracks over there, and, and I don't do anything about those, and then things start to deteriorate, and things start uh, to malfunction, and I didn't do what they told me to do. Whose fault is that? That's my fault, right? That's not the builder's fault. Well, of course, there could be certain situations where it's, the, where it's the builder's fault, but we're talking about Jesus building the church. We're talking about he is the master design. And so if we are building the church according to his specifications, according to his blueprints and his designs, if we are cooperating with him and we are uh, 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 cooperating with him and assisting him in building the church, then there should be no deterioration. There should be no damage. There should be no lives that are damaged and that are hurt and that are destroyed if we are doing things the way Jesus intended for us to do those things. And we are building the church the way he has uh, designed it to be. Amen. In Ephesians, uh, where did I tell you to turn? Ephesians 3, in verse 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So part of the family is in heaven. Part of the family is, is down here. But he says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, the, the church is a family. The church is not a networking group. It's not supposed to be a, a networking group. It's not a, a business. It's not a social club. It's not, you know, a fraternity. It's not a sorority. It's not a clique. The church is supposed to be a family. The church is supposed to be a place where you come and you feel like this is home. You feel like home, sweet home. You know, you ever get back from a vacation and you haven't slept in your bed in 10 days or whatever, and you get there, you're like, oh, man, home, sweet home. Well, well, church is supposed to have that feeling where it is like you come in, you, you come together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you love one another, and you're happy to see one another, and you feel like, I'm home. It's supposed to have that feel. But 
so often too many churches sad to say have been like businesses have been like corporations and treated it like that and in the world they have an expression you guys have probably heard this expression it's called dog eat dog world in the business world you guys ever heard that expression it's a dog eat dog world what does that mean that in the world they'll do whatever they need to do to get to the top they'll do whatever they need to do to make it to succeed even if that means hurting someone else even if that means harming somebody else even if that means backbiting gossiping backstabbing you i mean they'll smile to your face hey good to see you this morning hope everything's well but then behind closed doors they're backstabbing they're gossiping about you and other people why because they want to get to the top they want that promotion they want their boss to think more highly of them so they're buddying up with the boss and they're saying things comments like yeah that person they don't really know what to do. They always ask me for help. They just don't get it. They're, and they're, they're lying. That stuff goes on. And there's, there's judging and there's jealousy and there's envy. But that should not go on in the church. And sadly, that mentality, the mentality of the culture has come into the church. And there are churches, sadly too many, where that goes on, where there's competition going on. And people are you know, vying for a position and jockeying for a title. And they're trying to see how they can get close to the leadership, how they can get close to the pastor, how they can be friends with them so that they can get that title, so they can get that position. And then there's backbiting in the church and there's, there's people that are judgmental. People walk through the door. They could be a visitor or whatever. And people are looking at them like, man, you, something's not right with that person. And, and, and there's just judgmental, and it's just cold-hearted, it's just insensitive. It's not supposed to be that way in the church. And that's why a lot of people have left the church. A lot of people have left, don't want to be a part of church, don't want to go to church, because they already get that in the world. They already experience that in the world. They're expecting when they come to church that it should be a different environment. This should be a different place that it should be a different feel to it, right? Than what they're already experiencing, than what they're already getting. It's, it's, and that's not what they're experiencing. And people have left the church and people have experienced what, you know, we call church hurt. Now, there's never an excuse to disobey the Lord. There's never a reason to disobey him and not do what he said. If he said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, then we should not disobey him regardless of who has hurt us or not. Okay? But at the same time, though, we need to understand what's going on here and how those things happen so that we are not the ones. I, I take that very seriously. I take, you know, the responsibility of a pastor very seriously. Jesus said that if a person offend one of these little ones, and he was talking about little children, and causes them to stumble, that it would be better for that person to have a giant, large millstone hung around their neck, and they'd be taken out to the middle of the sea and drowned. Jesus said that, than to cause somebody to stumble. And there have been pastors and leaders that have caused people to stumble in their faith. 
and that's not okay. And I don't want to do anything that is stupid and heartless and careless that would cause somebody to stumble and that would cause somebody to be damaged and wounded and hurt. I don't want to do that, okay? But we need to also see the, uh, what is going on with this. Where are you guys at in um, Ephesians? No, just, just stay in Ephesians. But, well, let, let's finish this up. I, I don't want to rush this, okay? Because those joining online, they, we, we need to hear this. Um, people have been genuinely hurt in the church. People have been sincerely hurt. And it can, it can be like um, a divorce situation when you are hurt by somebody and especially you feel like leadership in the church. It can feel like a divorce situation where you were, you were given your time, you're given all your efforts, you are doing what you knew to do, and then you know something happens and you're just cut off and it seems like they don't care and it's just cold-hearted and callous. That, those, there are things that can hurt, okay? But then there are reasons for that. And let me back up. About 22 years ago, I heard a saying that has helped me and protected me. I was in Bible school, and 22 years ago, I heard this saying, and I remember when I heard it, I said, I'm going to live by that. And it has changed the way I think. It's changed the way I approach relationship situations. It's changed the way I, I, I think about what people or how I treat people, how I deal with people. And it, it's this saying is that when it, it comes, when it comes to people, I'm going to appreciate, or I'm sorry, when it comes to people, I'm going to expect nothing from them and I'm going to appreciate everything, okay? I'm going to expect nothing from them and I'm going to appreciate everything. That means I'm not going to presume that they need to do anything for me. I'm not going to presume that they owe me anything or expect anything from them and I'm going to appreciate anything that they do for me. Now, when I say expect nothing from people and, and appreciate everything, I'm not talking about if you guys have agreed, hey, uh, tomorrow we're going to meet at 1 p.m. for lunch at this restaurant. And because ah, I don't expect nothing from people, you don't even get in the car yourself because I don't expect people to show up and do what, it, do what they're going to say. No, I'm not talking about that, okay? That's, you got to say things like that because people get goofy. But I'm talking about expecting things from people getting your eyes on people, getting your eyes on man and what they should do for you. You know, getting your faith in people. And people are doing this without realizing that they're doing it. People have their eyes on people and they're putting their faith in people and they're not calling it that. They think, well, they're, they're supposed to do that for me. They should be doing that for me. Said who? And, and maybe they are, but why is your faith in them? See, the Bible says that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. The Lord is not just a provider of your financial needs. He can provide your emotional needs and your, 
you know, your solical needs, your spiritual needs, anything that you are lacking, the Lord is able to provide and fill the void and heal and comfort and strengthen you in that area. Amen. And we need that to be real to us. And that's the thing is that men and people, when I'm saying men, I'm not talking about the the gender of men. I'm, I'm saying man um uh you know humans people are more real to people than god is and so they look to people their expectation is in them and they're looking to them for something they're expecting you know from them and that's why they get disappointed because when you look to man you will be disappointed when you look to man you will be let down because men are men. They will fail you. They're infallible. And that's why we need to get our eyes on the Lord. You could always look at a person and say, man, I, I, why aren't they helping me? Why aren't they supporting me? Why are they not there for me? I've been there for them. Why aren't they there for me? And I, and I get it. <laughs> if you walk with the Lord long enough and, and, and you know, you have those opportunities, not you might, you will have those opportunities to look to men. Trust me, you will have those opportunities to wonder why somebody didn't do something for you or to wonder, you know, why they don't care or why they're not doing this and they're not backing you and they're not there for you. If you don't watch it, you will be tempted to look to man. But I'm telling you right now that you need to learn to develop your faith in the Lord. You know, we're not going to operate where people are dependent upon us. We're going to teach everybody to be dependent on the Lord. And this is why it's so important that you develop your own relationship with the Lord, why you develop your own uh, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, so that you are not dependent on another person. Now, we understand that there's babies, that there's newborns, and, and, and that's what a church family is supposed to be. A church family is supposed to be, you know, when newborns come in, new, you know what I'm talking about, newborns, newly saved, newly born again people, is that there are brothers and sisters, older ones that help them along the way to encourage them, to, you know, show them the ropes, if you will, you know, and, and the family's supposed to do that. But if you're 10 years old and you're still nursing, no, that's, we're going to wean you off of us at some point and say, hey, you're, you're old enough now. You know, let's look to the Lord. We're going to teach people to depend on the Lord. None of this, you know, look to your pastor, depend on him for everything. No, we are looking to the Lord. We are putting our trust and our faith in the Lord. And that is how you will guard yourself and keep yourself from being disappointed, from being let down, from being hurt and discouraged. by the. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be plenty of opportunities, like I said. But you have a decision to make in those situations. Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to get mad? Am I going to get offended? Am I going to start looking to them, pulling on them, putting pressure on them to do something? If you do that, if we do that, we're not in faith. If we start looking to people and pulling on people and start, you know, expecting from them and putting the pressure on them, then we're not putting faith in the Lord. And this is how you actually develop in your faith when you are in those situations, when you are feeling pressed like, 
I really need help right now. And no, I feel like nobody's there for me now. Again, I'm talking about a mindset that you have to have, you personally, for yourself, okay? We should be willing to help one another. We should be willing to love one another, okay? We should be willing to, to see, man, is something going on in your life that I can pray with you about that, hey, I'm here for you, brother, and to reach out for, but I'm talking about the mindset you personally have for yourself, that when the enemy's saying, man, they don't even care about you. You see, they even say hi to you today. They just walk right by. No, I, I, I'm not looking to them, okay? Uh, or or you're, you're whatever, you're dealing with something and it's pressing and, and you're wondering, you know, where is everybody? Those are the times where you dig deep and you look to the Lord and you go to him and you find out what the word says and you develop your faith for yourself, See, I, this is, this is, I'm, I'm telling you stuff that will save you hurt and will save you years of pain. There will be opportunities, trust me, but you will say, you, you, you remember this word, no, I'm not expecting from them. Wait a minute, who, you challenge yourself, wait a minute, who are my eyes on? Who am I looking to? What is my faith in? Let me read a couple of scriptures so you know I'm not just saying things that are not true. Psalm 118, you can just jot these down if you like or, or, or you know, uh, listen to it later. But Psalm 118, 8 through 9, it says, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Notice that. You're putting confidence. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put faith and confidence in man. And notice princes. Who are princes? Princes are people who have some ability, right? They have some power. They can make some things happen for you. But just because somebody has ability, has power, has, has you know, ability and, and influence, don't mean they're going to use it on you or do anything for you. And doesn't mean that they're supposed to. Doesn't mean that the Lord directed them to do anything for you. Okay? So it's better to get our eyes off of them and just put it on the Lord. The Bible says that. I'm not making this up. Psalms 25, 15 says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Who's the one who's rescuing us? Who's the one that's going to deliver us from the, from the net? Who's the one that's going to save us and rescue us? It's the Lord. I'm not looking for a man to rescue me. I'm not looking for, you know, leaders to rescue me. I'm looking to the Lord. I'm trusting him. And when you do that, he'll move on people in ways that you didn't expect. He'll do things and, and come through for you in ways that you were not expecting. And that's how you know that was God. And that's how you know, and that's how God becomes more real to you. Because you know, man, it wasn't because I was pulling on somebody. It wasn't because I was putting pressure on somebody else or because I was begging somebody else that I knew could do something for me. I looked to the Lord and the Lord came through for me. He did that for me. He encouraged me. He sent a complete stranger and they spoke a word to me and said this to me. And it was exactly what I was going through. It was because I looked to the Lord. And that's how your faith develops and you grow stronger is because you're not looking to mom and dad. You're not looking to your pastors, you're looking to the Lord. And that will save you from so much hurt 
and pain. Now, again, I have to reiterate this. People have been hurt and in leadership, people have done wrong things. But another side of this is that we have to understand that the church is made up of individuals and people will say the church hurt me. Well, really what they should be saying is an individual hurt me or individuals hurt me. You know, you, you, you kind of see this where in a divorce situation where maybe um, a man is going through a really difficult divorce and every divorce is difficult, but uh, for the most part, you know, I'm not talking about a one day thing in Las Vegas, but uh, a divorce is a difficult situation. And maybe a person, a man or a woman, they've been through a divorce multiple times and they're like, I'm done with women, you know, or I'm done with men. All men are dogs. They're all the same or and all women are this way. And all they care about is my money and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and they get cold hearted and calloused. Well, is that true that all women are like that? Is that true that all men are like that? No, that's that's not true. But people do that. They're like, I'm done. I'm done. Because, yes, it, it is hurtful. It's hurt. It, it can hurt when your heart is ripped apart. You gave your best years of your life to someone and now it's over and you don't want to go through that again. I, I get it. I understand. But it's individuals. It's not the church as a whole. And we do. You know, we are required to forgive by faith. It does take faith to forgive. And think about it this way. God forbid something were to happen to you and it was through another group or another, you know, color, you know, or, or ethnicity. And you said, man, that, that happened multiple times with, you know, that type of person. Well, and so because of that, you don't want to deal with these type of people. You want to stay away from them. Well, are all people like that just because a group of people did this to you or you experienced that from a group of people? No, they're not all like that. And let's be wise and understand these things ahead of time, that just because something happens to you and you get hurt and disappointed from somebody else, that doesn't mean as a whole, the whole thing, because the church was established by God. And we can't just turn our back on what he established. He still established it. And he knew that these things were going to happen. He knows that people are imperfect. He knows that, you know, that people, we all need the grace of God, right? We all need mercy in our lives. And just like you want somebody to extend you mercy and you want somebody to extend you grace, we have to sow that ourselves. We have to be the ones that are going to sow mercy and sow grace. And we shouldn't be so easily sensitive and overly sensitive about every little thing that happens either, though. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, that love seeks not her own. Love is not seeking her own. Love is looking what I can do for somebody else. How can I bless you? How can I help you? We say, well, I don't know about love. I'm broken individual. No, you know something. If you're saved, if you receive Jesus, you know something about love. You know that he sacrificed for you, that he laid his life down for you, that he's forgiven you, that he's shown mercy to you. And with that knowledge that you have, you can do the same to somebody else. 
he, you can show somebody mercy. You can show somebody some kindness and some gentleness, and you can be gracious to them. You can sow that. We don't want to be so sensitive that we're seeking our own and, and you know, that say, I don't say hi to you, or I forget your kid's name or something, or, you know, I forget when your birthday is. You know, we shouldn't be up and ready to just quit and leave and say, I'm out. I'm done. He didn't say hi to me. Could we show somebody, can we show one another grace? Could it be that maybe they had something on their mind, you know? Maybe they had a pressing issue that came up. Maybe they got a text and it's disturbing them and it's troubling them. You know, yeah, well, they should be more spiritual. They're the leaders, pastor. Well, that may be, they should be all those things. But everybody is flesh. Everybody has flesh to deal with, right? Everybody has uh, flesh to deal with, has the enemy to deal with. And any one of us can give in to our flesh. Any one of us can yield to the flesh. And at any moment, we can have a moment of weakness and just give in to the flesh. And we're all at different stages. We're all at different levels. We're all at different, you know, growth uh, stages of our walk with the Lord. And so we need to be uh, merciful to one another and say, you know what? I don't know where they are. I don't know what they see and what they do see. You know, you can only minister to someone what you have and what you see. If I don't see something or you don't see something, you don't see, you know, how to do something. You don't see how to walk in love in this area or you don't see how to uh, be kind in this area or how you, you, you know, how you should talk with your words. If you don't see it, how can you minister something that you don't see yourself? You can't. We're all at different levels, right? We're all at different stages and we need to be merciful with each other. And we need to be merciful to the people that come into the door. When people come in this, this atmosphere, they see this as a place of love. They see this as a place of encouragement. They see this as a place where people are not judging them, where there's no fear. There's no fear. So much of the stuff that happens is fear, you know, in, in, in business, in church, fear that I might not make it. Fear that I might not be seen. Fear that no one's going to notice me. Fear, fear, fear. What is that? If you're in fear in those areas, you're not looking to the Lord. And sometimes people do create an environment of fear where you feel like, man, there's so much judgment and no mercy at all. And I, I, everything I do is an act. No, we don't want that either. We want people to be real and genuine. We want us to be real and genuine. And it starts with leadership on the way down, because that's the way I look at it. I don't look at, you know, we were out on the street the other day. I, I wasn't looking at these people like they're, they're less than I am. And some of them were, you could tell that they're probably not doing good. They may not even have a home. I, I don't know what was going on. You could tell that they're probably wearing the same clothes for a long time. I don't look at those individuals as though I'm better than them or anything like that. I don't, I don't think that way. I think these people need the Lord. And, and, and what God did for us, he could do for you. That's the way I look. And we need to look at that when people walk through the door. I don't care how far out and weird you may think they look or how steeped in sin you think they are or you know that they are. When they come in here, they need to sense family. They say, hey, you're, you're building material. You're going to be part of the family. It don't matter what you've done. W welcome in. You're, you're welcome to come. We don't want fear here. 
Fear, so much fear in the church. Fear, pastors fearful of other pastors taking their sheep and stealing their congregation. And and things go on, but we're not going to be in fear. The Bible says that when we receive Jesus, we have not received the spirit of fear, uh, of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby now we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8 talks about that. We receive the spirit of adoption. What's that mean? We were once orphans and the Lord chose us. He chose us to be a part of the family. He chose us to be a part of the home. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants it where people don't have a home to go to. He wants it so that people don't have a place where they can say, ah, this is home. This is where I'm accepted. This is my family where people love me no matter what. Let's close with this. I know we're running over. Go to uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. You know, love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is ever ready, in, in the Amplified, verse 7, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. You know, we're not, somebody does us wrong, we think they did us wrong, we're ready to believe the best. Well, you know, maybe they had a bad day, maybe something happened, I don't know. And they could have just forgot. People do forget. Have you ever forgotten? We need to show each other mercy and grace. Ephesians 4, and we'll send off with this. Um, Verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You know, in a family situation, in a family, there are going to be things that come up. There are going to be situations where it can be heated and, you know, you're tempted to be angry. But it says here, make every effort. What we must do is make an effort. We have to make an effort. Is it worth fighting to keep your family together? Is it worth the fight? Is it worth you saying, hey, you know what? I don't know. I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to walk in love. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm bothered. And I'm, but I'm going to do what the Word of God says. I'm going to make an effort to keep unity here. I'm going to make an effort to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to look to the Lord. I'm not going to put my eyes on them and expect from them and pull on them and put pressure on them. Everybody has enough pressure in life. And they don't need people putting more pressure on them. We need to be looking to the Lord because we can never load him down. Right? It says, cast all your cares, cast all those pressures and burdens upon me for I care for you. And so we're we're not going to, be the type of family, the type of church that at the first sign of discomfort, at the first sign of somebody, you know, give us a, a wrong look or something that we think, we're in, I'm out of here. They ain't say hi to me today. I ain't coming back to that church. No, no, we're going to mature. We're going to grow up. And when people come through the doors, we're going to treat them like family. Amen. We're going we're gonna to be like family. We're going to keep fighting to stay together. We're not going to just fracture and split. 
over every little thing and e even big things. And this is how we become the Unstoppable Church. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you today. For more information on our ministry or to donate, visit onewayministries.net.